0: Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, it is hard to keep up with technology today, and I don't know if you've ever found yourself learning about some new invention or something that uh, people are into now, and, and you, you try to decide, do I like this or do I hate this? You know, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? And, and the problem is we just don't have perspective. We don't, we don't really know uh, how technology, how new things are going to affect us, are going to change the way uh, things that we think are normal are, are not gonna be normal anymore. And, and, and one of them, I'll just give you an example. I hear people talk about Gen Z, and Gen Z's a, the young generation right now, and talk about G- Gen Z go, you know what, Gen Z, they're learning how to write by hand. They're learning that skill. You know, They're, they're, they're or losing it, excuse me. They're losing the skill of uh, learning it, not learning it. <laughs> Other way. Losing the skill of writing by hand because uh, you know, they, they, all they do is they text all day, they're on the computer all day, they don't know how to use an old-fashioned pencil or a pen, you know, like we used to do in the good old days. You know? And so you know, we, we, we say things like that, and we're like, yeah, we, we're concerned about Gen Z and their handwriting uh, because of technology, and, and most of us can go, yeah, that's, that's a legitimate concern. I actually read an article about that this week, and I wanna show you the, the headline of the article. It said this. Horrible handwriting blamed on typewriter. This is actually a newspaper clipping, anyone remember those? A newspaper clipping from 60 years ago. Notice the big concern. Look at the deplorable writing schools and colleges accept these days from students. And the whole newspaper clipping is about how the typewriter is messing up kids' ability to write by hand you know who those kids are they're talking about? I'm pretty sure it's like your parents and your <laughs> grandparents. Like, if you figure out which generation we talk about here, like uh, maybe some of you, okay, some of you, but, but for a lot of us, you know, you're know, you like, wait a minute. The typewriter was the big concern. And, and we look at that and we go, was that worthy of concern? Should we have been afraid of the typewriter, what the typewriter's gonna do? And, and it's a little bit laughable now, but, but we understand why we have that hesitation. You might go, well, how do I know whether I'm the person that's gonna embrace it or not embrace it? I think of something that uh, Douglas Adams said. That said, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. <laughs> that's how you know. If you're over 35, you're like, this is rubbish. We don't need it. It was great, just the way it is. If you're under 35, you're like, you guys are old, and this is amazing. And that's the, that's the split. Well, hey, welcome to Abundant Life Church. We're so glad that you're here. To those in the room with me, to those of you who are watching or listening online, uh, if you're with us on a podcast or YouTube channel, we are so glad that you are part of this as well. My name is Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we're continuing this series that we began last week going through the book of John. And so I wanna encourage you, if you've got a journal, get your journal out. We're gonna be in week two. Uh, we give these to you uh, at the beginning, uh, you know, so that you would write down notes, that you would follow along, that you would use this and bring it back with you and use it in your own study, your own uh, experiences with Jesus throughout the week. Also in your life group, this is a tool for you uh, to bring with you as well. So we're going to be in week two of that. And then in our Bibles, we are in John chapter one. We are officially beginning the book of John today. And so if you've got a physical Bible with you, I encourage you to get that out and, uh, and open that up and you can just leave a bookmark in the book of John. We're going to be there a lot. And uh, if you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, I encourage you to get that out. We would love for you to read this for yourself as we get into the text in just a moment. Well, last week I set up the, the, the series that we're in, and, and if you missed that, you can go online, you can watch that on, uh, on our podcast or on our YouTube. But uh, really, set up why is John writing this book? And so we didn't even get to chapter one last week, we were in chapter 20, looking at why John wrote this. But uh, by way of reminder and to keep this in front of us, here's the twofold reason that John gave uh, for why he wrote this gospel. Number one, to see Jesus as he really is. Now to John, this is is two different things that he wants to see about Jesus. Number one, that Jesus is the Messiah. This is a Jewish understanding of the person they were all waiting for. Someday, this person will, will be the one that'll make all the wrongs, right? And John's going, that's Jesus. And so from a Jewish mentality, but just from, uh, I think we all kind of are longing for that person that's going to make things right. John's going, that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who does that. And, and, and John's going, it's not just that he's doing that like as like he's a really good teacher or he can like do some cool miracles, but he's God. Like he's God in flesh. Like God became one of us. This is a big deal to John. And so John wants us to see Jesus like this. Now Why? Because John knows that all of us are gonna find our life in something, and John wants us to find life in the person of Jesus. We talked about last week that not all, you know, not all things are equal you can find your life in, and so John is making this argument. Now again, I talked about there were other people saying Jesus wasn't really God, he was just a man, or he just could do some cool things. John's laser focused on who Jesus is and, and who he's trying to explain us to be. Now John understands that Jesus is that new invention in his day. Jesus is the thing everyone's trying to figure out. Is Jesus a good thing or is Jesus a bad thing? Like Jesus kinda changed some things. Should we embrace this or should we be concerned about this? And John's trying to give everybody perspective of what do we think about Jesus? How should we uh, understand what Jesus is doing uh, in the sense of how the world has changed after the the revelation of God in the person of Jesus? And so to do this, what you're going to notice is that John begins his gospel in a very unique way. A lot of the Gospels, you know, uh, began very practically. Hey, you know, there's a woman named Mary, and, you know, she's gonna have a baby, and it's the baby Jesus. And and like, you know, kind of just like, we're gonna tell the story. John's not gonna tell the story like that. John's going to put Jesus in this whole theological perspective for us, and to do it, he's gonna go all the way back to the beginning of time. And so John's Gospel begins a little bit strange, and, and maybe someone encouraged you, hey, you should read the Gospel of John, and you read the first couple sentences, and you're like, what? I don't, I don't understand. So let's dive in. We're gonna officially begin the book of John. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Again, this is so good. This is like poetry John is, is revealing, but maybe it's a little bit confusing because John's going back immediately to Genesis. He's going all the way back to the beginning of time in the Beginning and, and, and John's gonna really highlight Jesus, not just, hey, his earthly ministry. Okay, so, you know, what point are we in the Roman Empire? No, no, John's going, I want you to begin by understanding Jesus from the beginning of time, okay? So frame that, that's how John wants us to understand Jesus, not just his, his earthly life, but who is Jesus before he had a body? Before all of this, he's going all the way back to creation. In particular, what is Jesus's role? in creation, that's what John is, is wrestling with. Now notice what John calls him, he calls him the Word. Okay? Now this is something that uh, is, has become well known, but what you may not realize, it's not very common. In fact, a lot of the New Testament writers don't use this. The only one that does, is our buddy John. And John does it here, and he does it in another book that he wrote, the book of Revelation. And so this is a unique uh, John view of of who Jesus is, is how John really understood him. Oftentimes, if you would say, hey, what is the word of God? Most Christians would say the Bible. Uh, John wouldn't say that. John would say Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, and this is the way he thought of him. Let me show you the way he begins the book of Revelation, also written by John, Uh, and you'll notice he's gonna refer to Jesus in the same way as he refers to him in the beginning of his Gospel. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, our buddy, who testifies everything he saw that is the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. He goes on in chapter 19 to call Jesus the word again. So this is something that John understands. John sees Jesus uniquely like this and we're gonna understand what does that mean to John for Jesus to be the word. That'll make sense in just a moment. Now go back, John chapter one. Let's begin reading in verse two, and, and this is just so good. I could literally do a whole series, a whole week on, on just every phrase of this, but we won't. I'm going to give you five verses today. All right, so here we go. Verse two: Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh, this is so good. I mean, if you gotta begin a gospel account, John is like hitting it out of the park, right at the gate. Just so much theology here, which is, again, why maybe you get confused when you read the beginning. Like, what is he talking about? He is giving you a context for Jesus and the whole scope of all creation and of all humanity to help us understand it. A couple of things he says there, and I, again, I don't have time to unpack all these points, but just a few highlights. Uh, he noticed uh, that Jesus has always been, that he was not created. Now why is John uh, telling us that Jesus was around for creation? Because some people were saying that Jesus was a normal guy, and then when he was baptized, the Spirit of God came on him. John's going, nope, false, Jesus has always been. Didn't always have a physical body the way he did uh, when he was on, you know, walking on earth for, for 33 years, but he has always been a part of, uh, of who God is. So John's going all the way back, Jesus was not a created being. And then he says, this is significant, that everything was made through Jesus. Did you catch that? Uh, uh, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that hasn't been made. So you go back and you go, okay, so how did all of this come to be? And John says, well, it came to be through the person of Jesus. And maybe you've never thought about creation this way. John's inviting you to imagine Jesus, not just in his earthly, earthly life, but as Jesus who created everything we know of. Now, the other New Testament writers, they pick up this theme as well. Paul does, and the author of Hebrew does. Hebrews does. Let me show you uh, chapter one, verse two. It says, in these last days, uh, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. H- how did God make the universe? The author of Hebrews said, well, through Jesus. That's how he made it, which is the same thing that John is saying, that, that all of this came to be through the person of Jesus. Now, why is it significant? Well, the reason why this is an important uh, understanding is because John is retelling the creation narrative here. He's retelling what we find in the book of Genesis. Now, we might not be super familiar with the book of Genesis, and, uh, and maybe you're, you know, that's not something that you've memorized, but to his early audience, they would have been very familiar with it. They, they would have uh, memorized much of it, they would have known it, and John is retelling Genesis with a Jesus emphasis. He's going, hey, you remember this story? Let me retell it to you, but I'm gonna point out all the details about Jesus. Let me show you. In Genesis chapter one, now again, this is the, the first book you have in your Bible, the first book of the Old Testament. This is what begins the Hebrew Bible. This is uh, the Torah, all that. This is all the way to the beginning. This is incredibly significant here. Uh, this was studied and memorized and learned, and John is paraphrasing this, if you will, with a Jesus emphasis. It says this in Genesis one. In the beginning, sound familiar? God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Now again, hopefully, if you're looking at John 1, you can see there's a lot of connections here, there's a lot of parallels here. John is paraphrasing this, he's retelling this, but he's doing it with an emphasis On Jesus, And again, you notice, uh, what what metaphor is he playing up? The light and the dark. And and John goes right back to the same metaphor. Beginning of Genesis is all about God creating light. John says that the light has come into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. So again, John's using this, but he's focusing it on Jesus. Now here's what's really cool. When you reread Genesis the way John is inviting us to do, you reread it through the lens of the person Jesus. Now, I would recommend reread all the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. That's how the New Testament writers did it. And we're seeing an example here in the the very first book. But but if you see that, you can actually find not just Jesus in the opening pages of scripture, you find the whole trinity here. And, And this is what John is helping us to realize. So let me show you how you do this, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, one part of the Trinity, was hovering over the waters. And God, you could say the Father, said, how does he say things? Through the word of God. John has already made that clear. That's who Jesus is, and and Jesus created all things. So when the Father is speaking creation, the Father's doing that through the person of Jesus. Let there be light, and there was light. What was the light? It's Jesus, that's the light. John's making that clear. So John is retelling this, through an emphasis on Jesus. So we can go back and go, oh, now we can see not just the Trinity, but we can see how Jesus pops out of the pages of the beginning of the Bible, because this is how John is inviting us to read it. One author, Diana Butler Bass, uh, she explains it like this. She says, in effect, John is telling a very old Jewish story anew, but this time through the experience of Christ. In Genesis, God creates by breathing. The word for that is the Ruach, the spirit, a Hebrew word. God breathes. The cosmos comes to be. In John, the Ruach is the word, the logos, truth, and wisdom. So again, John is going all the way back to Genesis. He's retelling it, and he's focusing it all on the person of Jesus. Hey, I want you to know that this is who Jesus is. This is how John begins his gospel. Why is this important? Well, if you're writing things down, here's what I would encourage you to write down. Jesus is our opportunity to see what the Trinity is like. Now, you get this because he's going all the way back to the beginning, not just isolating Jesus, but who is Jesus in the whole realm of all that God has ever done? That's how John begins. And so I would say that Jesus is our opportunity to see what the Trinity is like. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit. We get to see all of it through the person of Jesus. Now, I understand this is it's a little theological, and the Trinity itself is always very hard to explain. Any metaphor we use breaks down. Um, but I'm gonna try to give you an analogy to help this make sense. Now, analogies are gonna break down, uh, but this will help you maybe wrap your hands around, okay, what, what do you mean the Trinity and Jesus is showing us the Trinity? Like, What does this actually mean for us? Let's put this in, in, in more of a real-time scenario, something that you and I might encounter in a normal uh, day-to-day encounter. So let's say you had two people, and they're trying to talk to each other. So you have Kevin, and Kevin speaks English, English only, and you have Nadia, and Nadia speaks Russian only, and they wanna talk. Now, if if this is the situation, this is going to be a very frustrating situation. Now, if you've ever traveled the world and you have been the person that didn't know the language, you know what it feels like, or maybe you've invited someone over here, you talk talked to someone over here and they don't know the language, and it's very tough to do, and you can only do so many hand motions, and you know we, we say it slower or louder, and it's like, they don't know the language. So no matter what you do, you're not gonna be able to bridge this gap unless you have technology or Google Translate or something. Uh, but let's say you don't have that, you have no phones, and you're just trying to have this conversation. It's going to be very frustrating. And this is a universal human experience to anyone who has traveled or met someone who has traveled. Uh, you know, if you're not in your, you know, your natural language, it's very hard to try to communicate, and it's very frustrating. And there is a like an insurmountable gap here. It's like, how do we get across this? How do I communicate to this person? I have no idea what they're saying. And I I can think of trips that I've been on where it is truly comical. You just keep saying it over and over and over, hoping that somehow it's gonna click and it doesn't because you don't speak the same language. Now again, if this is all we had, we would say this is gonna be a very frustrating experience for these two. Uh, They're not gonna be able to talk no matter what they try to do. Unless they have technology, this is gonna be frustrating. But how would it change if we said that it wasn't just Kevin and Nadia, that they have a mutual friend named Angelina. And Angelina speaks English and she speaks Russian. How does that change things? Well, it would change things significantly. And I can illustrate this. Um, one time I was uh, in Alexandria, uh, Egypt, and uh, we were uh, on a, a global trip, and it was uh, just a couple of us guys that were doing kind of a scouting trip for uh, one of the things that we were gonna do as a church, and this was many years ago. And I remember thinking, uh, this is gonna be so cool, like we're gonna go see all this you know, area, and Alexandria, if you've ever been there, is beautiful. I mean, just stunning, it's right on the water. And so we had this guy that was taking us and showing us everything, and, and uh, one of the days, he goes, hey, let's sit down in this little marketplace area, and let's have tea. That's a very common thing there, and so I said, okay. So we sit down, and just a group of us, and, and we're having tea, and, and our guy says, hey, I'm gonna go figure out something of what we're gonna do next, I'll be right back. No problem. We're sitting there having tea, just having a great time, enjoying the scenery, everything's amazing. Well, I noticed as we're sitting there that this elderly lady comes walking by in front of us, looks over at me, and gets this look on her face. I'm like, whoa, what, what's that about? And she looks at me, and she's like not turning away. She's just staring intently at me. I'm like, okay, this is kind of strange. And then she begins to walk over to me. So I'm watching this and I'm just very curious what's going on. And she gets right up to me and she starts pointing her finger at me and yelling at me. Now, I don't know what she's saying because I don't speak her language, but I can tell she's mad, right? That part (laughs) translates, okay? So she's pointing at me and she's yelling and I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you're mad at. I'm thinking, am I drinking the tea wrong? Am I sitting wrong? Am I wearing something wrong? Like, I've clearly done something to offend her. And I'm racking my brain going, what am I doing right now to offend her? I have no idea. I don't understand this culture. I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't know. And so she just keeps yelling. And, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe she'll just go away and this will be done. But she's not going away. She's just standing there and she's getting louder and louder. And it starts to create a scene. And now other people are like, looking over like, what is all this commotion going on? And I'm going, oh, this is so bad. Like, I don't know what I have done, uh, but this is really bad. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm like apologizing to her, but I, I, she doesn't understand me. And, and so we're just having this you know, thing, and I'm like, I am so sorry. And she just keeps pointing at me, and she's pointing at my face. I'm like, this is my face, I'm sorry, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I've always looked like this. I don't know what to tell you. And so she's just getting louder and louder. Well then some other people, they come up, they look at me, they look at her, they start yelling at her, and they're going back and forth. I don't know what they're saying either, you know? And I'm like, I think they're defending me, I'm not quite sure, uh, but whatever's going on, this is all about me. And I'm sitting there and I just remember feeling so helpless. Like, what is happening right now? I, I would give anything to know what is being said, but I don't know what is being said. And so I remember, I mean, it's probably five minutes this took place. It felt like an eternity as I'm listening to this argument and more and more people are coming and the, the anger is escalating and, the, you know, all this back and forth. Finally, our guide shows back up and his eyes are big. and He's like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. They're arguing about me, you know. And so he, he walks up and he starts listening to this conversation, and then he starts chuckling. I'm like, what? He goes, do you know what they're arguing about? I said, no. And he said, she thinks you're in the Muslim Brotherhood. <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, he said, she keeps saying it's your beard, your beard, like she knows that you're in the Muslim Brotherhood and she's telling you you're not welcome in her country. I'm like, well, okay, that's direct. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> please let her know. I'm not in the Muslim Brotherhood. You know, like that would be a good thing for her. No. And, he, and he starts laughing. He goes, everybody is telling her that. Everybody is telling her you're Americans. You're not in the Muslim Brotherhood. That, you know, she, she's just off on this. But they're this whole conversation. But here's the point. The moment that I had a translator who spoke their language and my language, the whole situation was different. Everything felt different, I had a new confidence, I had a new peace, and suddenly I could navigate this on no ability of my own, but I could navigate it and the whole situation was different. This is how languages work. And again, if you've ever traveled, you ever tried to navigate this, you understand these dynamics. So let's go back to our, our, our relationship. Uh, you got these two friends, and they have a mutual friend. Now notice, here's how this works out. So if Angelina can speak Russian to Nadia, So she can talk to Nadia. Angelina can also talk to Kevin. She can speak English to Kevin. But here's the really significant thing. Because of Angelina, Kevin can speak to Nadia. Nadia can speak to Kevin. They could do something that they could have never done. So not just can they talk to Angelina, but they can now talk to each other. It's an incredibly significant change of the dynamic because of someone who can speak both languages. Now this is the way that I would encourage us to think about Jesus. That Jesus speaks the divine language, he also speaks our language. And so Jesus is our Angelina. Jesus is the one that comes between to help us with a language we would not otherwise be able to understand. Now Paul says this in the the book of 1 Timothy chapter two. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So Paul says, hey, when you think about Jesus, think about him as like a mediator. He's, he's the go-between. He's between us and God. And so we could go back to this equation. We could look at it like this. We have humanity over here. You have God as the trinity over there. And Jesus is the connecting uh, part that connects us to, to God. We can now speak a language we could not speak otherwise. Now let's play this out and and you're gonna see some implications here. Now when it comes to what's the difference between humanity and God, there's a lot. Uh, One of them would be the way in which we love. Most of the love that we experience as humans is self-serving love. That's our default setting most of the time, right? I will love you, I will do something for you, what's in it for me? Does it benefit me? Do I get something out of this? If I do, I will love you. That's, that's kind of the human condition, if you will, which is why we have so many issues in this world. Uh, as long as I get some perk out of it, I will love you. That, that's kind of our default setting. Well, that's opposite to how God exists in the Trinity. God is not a self-serving love. It is a self-giving love. God naturally, inherently, intuitively gives of himself or herself. God is both, right? God loves in such a way that it is fully giving. And God experiences this, this is where it gets a little bit weird, within the Trinity and has always been like this. So when John says that God is love, what he means is that God doesn't need us to express love because God can express love to God's self. And again, even the words you try to use are hard because God exists, God mutually submits uh, within God to the Trinity and mutually extends love, self-giving love within the Trinity. And here's, the, here's the, what's really cool. So that's how God exists as a Trinity. Well, this self-giving love in the person of Jesus is the Trinity aimed at humanity, So God has always been like this. God is mutually self-giving, mutually submissive. I mean, this is who God is. But for the first time, it is 100% aimed at humanity in the person of Jesus. And so this language that God speaks is now aimed at us. Now, you might be going, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think the arrows should be going both directions here. Right, because isn't this more like God is coming to us? Like we're not really coming to God, and that would probably be a more accurate way theologically of, of understanding this. But in a very practical way, I, I think it does go, go kind of both directions. And here's how it illustrates this: So God is already complete. God's not more complete once you know Jesus uh, takes on flesh and, and becomes inc- incarnation. God doesn't suddenly like now I'm, I'm I'm fulfilled. But our experience of God changes dramatically after the person of Jesus has been revealed, okay? And so here's what i say, I was reading this week, the Old Testament, uh, the story of Samuel. And, and Samuel was the prophet of Israel, and Samuel Samuel's the one that instills Saul as the first king of Israel, and then Saul has a falling out and, and doesn't obey God, and so then God comes to Samuel and says, hey, I want you to make David the new king, and so he sets up David. Well, there's this, this passage, i never seen it uh, the way I saw it just, just this week as I was looking at it. It's so close together, and there's this verse that says that you know uh, the, 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 the Spirit of God departed from Saul, and then a few verses later, and the Spirit of God went into David. Because it's it's like a zero-sum game. So like, you had it, you lost it, now I'm going over there. This is totally different than how the Spirit works with us today. So in the Old Testament, when you read, uh, the Spirit of God is a rare occurrence. And so when they're telling you, and then the Spirit of God came upon someone, it's like, whoa, take note of that. Today, we all have access to the Spirit of God, and we take it for granted, you see, after the person of Jesus, God is able to interact with us the way God has always wanted to interact with us. But, but it took him a little while to, to get us to that point, to where we could see who God is in the person of Jesus. And now we get to interact with God in totally different ways. You know, sometimes I hear people read like a story of King David and go, oh man, I envy David. I wish I had his relationship with God. No, you don't. Because that was all before Jesus. And so David got just a fraction of what you get to experience with God. We just don't fully realize it. And so in the person of Jesus, you have the self-giving love of the Trinity aimed directly at us for the first time ever. And we can see this. Now you might be thinking, okay, so if this is, if this is the point, then we, we're trying to get from here to over there. And so Jesus is just a means to the end that we're seeking, right? So don't focus on Jesus. Uh, just get to God the Trinity, because that's the point, we wanna get to God. And you might think that uh, based on just logic, like, all right, so if Jesus is the mediator. Don't get stuck on the mediator. Go through the mediator to the ultimate end. But here's the great irony. You look at all the New Testament writers, none of them speak of Jesus in this way. They all speak of Jesus as the, the end in, in itself. And you're going, well, if he's the mediator, how is he the end? Well, let me show you the language that the New Testament writers use. Hebrews chapter one says it like this. The son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is what God looks like when God is shining on you, right? Because the self-giving love of the Trinity aimed At humanity, that's literally what he's saying. The sun is the radiance, what God looks like when God is shining on you, when God is aimed at you. We go, oh, and so Jesus is not like a a, a partial representation, a glimpse of God. No, he's the exact representation of who God is. If you have seen Jesus, you don't have to keep going. You've seen God, you've seen the fullness of God. Uh, As the apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the Trinity lives in bodily form. So you're not getting like just a glimpse of of the Trinity. You're seeing the Trinity in the person of Jesus. Now again, this is where it gets a little bit kind of confusing, but you, you begin to see what the New Testament writers are doing here. They're going, you have all you have ever wanted in the person of Jesus. You have the fullness of God aimed at us. So you might ask, what is it about Jesus that can reveal the fullness of God to us? What is it, is it his teaching, is it the miracles, is, is it you know, he was just like really disciplined? Like what is it about Jesus that can fully reveal the self-giving love of the Trinity to us? And here's the answer, it's the cross. It is Jesus on the cross that fully reveals the self-giving love of God. And so, yeah, you can look at all that Jesus did and go, that's all amazing. But the, the capstone of like, wow, this is, this is the ultimate moment where we go, that is what the Trinity looks like, is Jesus on the cross. And, and, and so, uh, when we begin to think about Jesus, you don't just like, oh, his teachings and his miracles. and You think about the cross because that's the moment where Jesus plays all the cards that God has and goes, this is what the Trinity looks like. One theologian, John, bears is like this. We cannot begin with an understanding of God or the Son of God in whom he is revealed apart from the cross. Do not think of Jesus separate than Jesus on the cross. If on the other hand, we look through the cross, that's our filter, that's our lens, right? We see the unchanging identity of the crucified one throughout his life. If you look through the cross, you begin to see Jesus revealing to us who God really is. See, on the cross, we see God sacrifice. We see God surrender. We see God model nonviolent enemy love that can change the world. We see all of this model on the cross, and as we behold it, and as we imagine it, as we stare at it, we begin to see what God is really like, the fullness of God revealed. And so I would say it like this. Any view of God without the cross cannot fully show us the character of God. So when you begin to think of Jesus, again, John is trying to aim us, our imaginations, everything's gotta be focused on Jesus. Any view of God without the cross cannot fully show us the character of God. And so John is gonna, right from the beginning, make sure we understand the preeminence of who Jesus is and the, the scope of all creation because any view of God without the cross cannot fully show us the character of God. Now break this down. The Trinity exists as self-giving love within the Trinity. That love in the person of Jesus is aimed at us. So we see, okay, now through the cross we see this self-giving love of the Trinity that has always existed, but now we get to behold it. Now we get to see it in ways that we've never seen it before. And when you realize this, what you also realize, this is an invitation for us. Because as the Trinity exists in self-giving love, revealed on through Jesus to us on the cross, then as Jesus reveals it to us, he invites us to reveal it to others. As we have seen the self-giving love of God on the cross, we get to participate. We get to join in what God is doing and, and direct that same love toward others, which is why, if you're new with us, our mission statement is that we are giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. It is a tangible, practical way to keep in front of us that we are invited to participate in the self-giving love of the Trinity through the person of Jesus revealed to us that we now can reveal to those around us. Now, I could close right here. I could say, let's pray. And it's all, you know, we had a great day processing some new ideas about God. But here's the deal. I don't want to close this message without giving us all a chance to actually do what we just talked about. So we talk about the self-giving love of the Trinity revealed through the person of Jesus to us. We have a chance to reveal that to others. What would that look like? Well, there's an opportunity, a simple, very clear, very focused opportunity that we all have to participate in this. We are doing something as a church right now called Adopt-A-Family. And we've been telling you about this. And we began this last year. What is adopt the family? It is a way for us to match you with another family around our communities that is in need, that is saying, look, we have needs at Christmas. We wouldn't be able to celebrate at Christmas unless uh, someone else helped us. And we're going, we have families that could do this. We will match you up, we will connect you, and you can tangibly, practically show someone the self-giving love of the Trinity as it's been revealed to you in Jesus, as you reveal it to them. Now, sometimes when we, when we, you know, hey, we're gonna go launch this, or we're gonna go try this, sometimes what we ask you is, hey, we're gonna raise money for this, or we're gonna, you know, make a huge, you know, financial commitment, and, and those are awesome. We do that at Easter every year, and those are great. And here's the reality. Uh, please keep doing that. Uh, the ministry that we all get to do week in and week out is because of those of you who faithfully, sacrificially give. That's how all the ministries that we do here, that's how it happens. Please continue doing that. Please continue to do more of that, because we can do more ministry, okay? That's how we do what we're doing. But That's not what this is. You can't write a check to adopt a family. Well, what you could say is, I wanna sign up for this. I wanna be connected to a family, and my family will relationally get to go and show another family what we have experienced in the self-giving love of God. Now, last year, we began this. We had no idea. We went to different schools and said, hey, can you try to, to connect us with families in need? And last year, we had 182 families that said, yeah, we would love to sign up for that. Would you please help us out? Now, church, here's what I wanna brag on you. Of the 182 families that, that we got that said, hey, we would love help, we were able to adopt 182 families. Okay, so yes. In fact, we had more of you who said, I'm in, than we had families to adopt, which is the way it should go, okay? That's amazing, but here's the deal. Now, y'all got a reputation. <laughs> so what happened last year, people have been talking about it, going, hey, there's this church, that is willing to like come alongside the families in need and like love them tangibly and like connect with them and, and bless them. And so last year when we went to the schools and said, hey, how many do you have? We got 182. We're on track as the numbers are coming in to have 350 families this year. You can clap for that, but here's what this means. We need 350 families in our church that say, I'm in. I will adopt that family, I will step up, I'll do that. I don't want it to be said, oh, we had opportunities out there, but we weren't willing to take it up. We weren't willing to say, yes, we'll we'll be a part of it. And so church, I'm gonna encourage us. we have more than 350 families in our church, okay? So if we're doing a simple numbers game, if we all just said yes, this would be easy, we go, no problem, we got this. But it's only gonna work if we say, yes, we'll step up and we'll do this. Now, I wanna share with you I got a letter, and actually we all got a letter, uh, from uh, a school counselor at an at a elementary school in Estacada, one of the schools that we've been partnering with. And to my knowledge, uh, this woman does not go to our church, but I want you to hear what she has said, what she wrote to us, as she has been working with finding families that are in need and then hearing about what this church is doing for them. This is the card that she said. Dear Abundant Life Church members, I wish you could have heard the joy of, and excitement in the voices of these parents. They are truly grateful for your generosity. Thank you for blessing our kids and families. This will truly be a special Christmas for them all. You have people in the community who are watching how a church is meeting the needs of families around them. This is the self-giving love of the Trinity revealed in the person of Jesus to us and we begin to reveal it to those around us. And it's as simple as giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. So here's my ask. I don't want us to leave off a single family that has come forward and said, hey, uh, we are in need, this would be amazing. So today, you can go in the lobby today, you can go online today, you can go sign up and say, hey, we're in, We'll, we'll take a family. And church, I would love to bless the community around each of our campuses as we rally around and say, you know what? We have seen the self-giving love of God in so many ways and this is such an easy, tangible way for us to show it to others and for the stories of 350 families who say, you know what? I got to see a glimpse of Jesus this year because someone came alongside of me and showed me something maybe I've never seen before. What would God do through a church like that? Let's pray together. Jesus, as we think upon you and the way that you perfectly reveal the love of the Trinity to us, may we find ways to reveal your love to those who have not yet seen it. The way that we have seen you, the way that we have experienced your self-giving love. And so God, we, we know that this is a big ask, that as we look at 350 families who have come forward and say, you know what, we've heard about this church and what this church would do. Would you ignite a spirit of generosity within us? Would you connect us with these families, with this incredible opportunity that we have to say, you know what, we can go and and love you and we can go and bless you. We can go connect what we have and sacrifice so that you have something you, you wouldn't otherwise have. And God, as we do this, may this not just be about Christmas presents. May this be about 350 families knowing that there is someone out there that loves them that will sacrifice for them, that will show them a glimpse of who Jesus is as we have experienced you. And may the self-giving love of the Trinity continue to spread through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.